0: 1st Samuel in the chapter 6 I want to direct your attention to this morning. I do want to thank the Reverend Dean for the words of welcome and also for the invitation to be here this morning. It's hard to believe it's four years since we left. We certainly thoroughly enjoyed that time that I was placed here as a student. I look back on it with thankfulness for the instruction, the counsel that was given to me and the experience that was given to me in every department, in this church, in the council, even off the Reverend Dean and the elders of this church. As I have went into the ministry, and over these four years, I'm thankful as I look back on everything that the Lord and his providence brought to me whenever I was here in Crossgar for that time together. Now, it's lovely to be back and to see you all and to have the fellowship once again with you. First Samuel chapter 6. I'm going to take the time just to read the chapter, I'm going to look at most of the chapter together this morning, don't worry, I have my watch, I know there's another clock here, so between the two of them we'll be out by three, so 1 Samuel chapter 6, the verse 1, the ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners saying, what shall we do to the ark of the Lord, Tell us wherewith we shall send it to his place. And they said, If ye send away the ark of the God of Israel, send it not empty, but in any wise return him a trespass offering, that ye shall be healed, and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then said they, What shall be the trespass offering which we shall return to him? They answered, five golden emeralds and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines. For one plague was on you all and on your lords. Wherefore, ye shall uh, make images of your emeralds and images of your mice that mar the land, and ye shall give glory unto the God of Israel. Peradventure, he will lighten his hand from off you and from off your gods and from off your land." Wherefore then do ye harden your hearts, as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened their hearts, when he had wrought wonderfully among them? Did they not let the people go and they departed? Now therefore make a new cart, take two much ca- kine, on which there have come no yoke, and tie the kine to the cart and bring their calves home from them, and take the ark of the Lord and lay it upon the cart and put the jewels of gold which ye shall. Or which he returned him for a trespass offering, in a coffer by the side thereof, and send it away, that it may go. And see, if it goeth up by the way of his own coast to Beth Shemesh, then he hath done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that smote us, it was a chance that happened to us. And the men did so, and took two milch kine, tied them to the cart, and shut up their calves at home. They laid the ark of the Lord upon the cart and the coffer with the mice of gold and the images of their emeralds. And the kine took the straight way to the way of Beth Shemesh, and went along the highway lowing as they went, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Beth Shemesh. And they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark and rejoiced to see it. And the cart came into the field of Joshua, a Beth Shemite, and stood there, where there was a great stone. And they cleaved the wood of the cart and offered the kine a burnt offering unto the Lord. The Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the coffer that was with it, wherein the jewels of gold were, and put them on the great stone, and the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices the same day unto the Lord. When the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. And these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines returned for a trespass offering unto the Lord for Ashdod one, for Gaza one, for Ashkelon one, for Gath one, for Ekron one. And the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both of fence cities and of country villages, even unto the great stone of Abel, whereon they set down the ark of the Lord, which stone remaineth unto this day in the field of Joshua the Beth Shemite. And he smote the men of Beth Shemish, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people fifty thousand and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with the great slaughter. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? And to whom shall he go up from us? And they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kerjath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines hath brought again the ark of the Lord. Come ye down and fetch it up to you. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts. It is this time in the valley of Beth Shemesh that we want to spend our moments together on this morning. And I invite you just to join with me in a word of prayer as we seek the Lord's blessing and help in the preaching of his word. Father in heaven, we bow before thee. We're thankful for the blessings of God already in this day that we have enjoyed. We can say, O God, that truly great is thy faithfulness lord the blessings are new unto us each and every day thou dost daily load us with benefits and father we come before thee and we are thankful to be in thy house to be open opening up the word of god and to be spending this time in the things of god even today we're thankful for the time of year lord for the blessings that thou hast bestowed upon us even temporarily lord for the gathering that there has been once again we praise thee for it Lord, we thank thee for thy covenant and for thy promise. That it will never stop. The seed time, the harvest will continue. And Father, we praise thee and we bless thee this day. But, O God, now as we come to thy precious word, we pray for the stillness, even of Almighty God, to be upon this gathering today. We pray then for the stirring of every heart, that I will speak to saved and unsaved, that I will stir up thy people. O God, a work within us, even today, teach us from thy word. And by thy Spirit, apply it to each and to every one. We pray for the unsaved as well. O God, have mercy upon them. Whether they be in this building or even tuning in online, Lord, speak to them. Show them their need of salvation. And Lord, draw them unto thyself. In Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel, in the chapter 6, is a very full chapter focusing primarily in and around the valley of Beth Shemesh. The valley of Beth Shemesh was a very wide valley over in the land of Israel. It was a valley which was used for much agricultural work. Even those verses that we read this morning of how they were working in the field, they were bringing in the wheat harvest. There was much area even there for them to prosper in. And Beth Shemesh was an area right in the border of Judah as it connects with the tribe of Dan. When you would come up out of that valley, you would be crossing tribal lands, tribal boundaries uh, from one area into the next. But whenever you read this chapter as a whole, and as you consider these verses that we've looked at this morning, this brings us much of the attributes of God. We see in this chapter the omnipotence of God, the power of God, even in his undertaking, even upon the Philistines and how he worked within them. Of how he persecuted him, he punished him for taking the Ark of the Covenant. And how even that punishment rained upon him, even with that disease, that plague that came upon all of the five lords and all of their lands. We can see as well the providence of God and how the Lord brought all things together and brought even that understanding to the men to send back the cart. We can see the sovereignty of God also over creation and how these two milch kine yoked to that cart, would make their way and he would guide them and bring them straight down that road into the area of Beth Shemesh itself. We can see the joy to be found in the Lord. You can see that joy whenever the people lifted up their eyes and they looked and they saw the ark of God returning that joy that filled their hearts. That's a joy that can't be found in the world. That's a joy that can only be found in Christ. But then at the end of the chapter, we see also the justice of God. We see that all that the Lord would do unto them for their sin, even in looking into the ark. And all of those various attributes, all of the various characteristics of God, they all bring us to one thing, and it's found at the end of the chapter, the holiness of God. God is a holy God. That was something the Philistines had been learning even over those last seven months, they thought they could bring the Ark of the Lord. The Ark of the Lord was uh, that visible sign of the presence of God amongst his people. And they thought that they could just bring the Ark of the Covenant into the house of Dagon. They thought that their God was as good if not greater. And so they brought this trophy in their mind, the Ark of the Covenant, and they brought it into their house of their God. And they had learned much. Because when they brought the Ark of the Covenant in, Dagon fell before it. They set their God up the next day, Dagon fell again and he smashed to pieces. You see, there is only one true and living God. It doesn't matter how many religions there may be, it doesn't matter how many gods each religion may have. There is only one true and living God. And he is the one who is in control of all things. And whilst the Ark of the Covenant remained in the land of the Philistines, they were smitten. God punished the heathen people in Ashdod, in Gath and in Ekron. And even the attention now as we turn to the valley of Beishemish, even though you can think much upon what is happening with the cart and the cows, what is happening with the harvest and the harvesters, what is happening is that that God is in control. That's important to remember in this day. God is in control of everything. You might look out in the world, you might see what is going on in the world, and you might think, well, what is going on? God is on the throne. God is in control of all things. And even though it was a valley time, and you think of the valleys in your life, you think of the hard times that the valleys may bring you. And yet in those valleys, we learn more of God. We're brought to the Valley of Beth Shemesh to learn who God is. We're brought to the Valley of Beth Shemesh to learn how special, how wonderful, how powerful a God we have. There are three things I want to leave with you, even as we bring our thoughts, even this morning from the Valley of Beth Shemesh. Verses 3 to 12, you have the return of the ark. You have the return of the ark. Those verses that we read together, brings us to the reality that the Philistines wanted rid of the Ark of the Covenant. There was a great delight whenever they had first captured it in battle. There was great delight. They had been victorious. They captured this great trophy, this great prize. They had brought it back to their house of Dagon. But then when he was smashed to pieces, and then as well whenever they were afflicted with the hemorrhoids in the private parts, chapter 5 and the verse 9 tells us they had no desire For the ark to remain. They had no desire to be there. They had no desire to have that presence with them. But they had no desire for the Israelites to have it either. At no point did they simply contact the Israelites and say, come and get it. At no point did they contact the elders and the rulers of the land of Israel and say, your trophy, your prize, your ark, come and take it back. We don't want it. They didn't want it, but they didn't want the Israelites to have it. Indeed, it's clear they do everything they can to hinder the ark's return. Two heifers that have never been yoked to a cart, two heifers that have just given birth to calves, are separated from those calves, they're put onto that cart to pull it, and they're just simply... Sent in their way. There's no one to lead them. There's no one to drive them. There's no one to guide them. And their calves are locked up. Back in the barn. And I am no farmer. But I know there are farmers here in this congregation. So I would need to get this right. The cows that have just given birth to calves. Are full of milk. The one thing they're looking at is their calves. To get rid of the milk. To feed them. And immediately these calves are separated from their mothers. The heifers are put to this cart and they're told, just go. None of this should have worked. And the Philistines didn't want any of it to work. They didn't want the ark to be returned. And yet the two cows just started walking. They're lowing as they go. They're calling for those calves. And of course the calves are locked up, but they're calling. And yet they don't turn to the left. They don't turn to the right. They don't turn round and go back, looking at their calves. They keep plodding forward. Everything about this is wrong. But yet, humanly speaking, we can't explain it apart from simply to say God did it. God brought that ark back with those two cows pulling it the entire way up the road. Not one to encourage them, not one to drive them, not one with a stick beating them along, making sure they go up the road. No one to lead them, nothing of encouragement at all. And yet they walked straight up the road out of the Philistine lands and straight into the Israelite lands, straight into the village or the valley of Beth Shemesh, straight into the field of Joshua. And then they stop. You see the sovereignty of God over his creation. You see his power, his control over every detail. There's not one part of that episode is outside of God's control. There's not one aspect or not one moment that those cows are left unhindered and there's not one moment where the Lord is not having his hand upon even those cows and bringing them every single step until they reach Beth Shemesh. There's not one part of it the Lord leaves up to chance or leaves up to that human desire. Rather every single part God is in control. God works a miracle. In spite of the obstacles, in spite of the difficulties that the world raised, God overruled every single one of them. You know, when I think of that, what a confidence that brings to me as a child of God in prayer. Because each one of us have prayer requests, each one of us have burdens, each one that is saved has those desires upon our heart and we have those prayers that we bring before the Lord and maybe we're looking at a loved one and we're thinking that loved one is so far down the road from the Lord. That loved one of mine is in such a dark place. And there would need to be about a hundred different obstacles removed before they would ever come to the Lord. There would need to be a hundred different things to change before they would ever even consider coming to the house of God. Or maybe it's a loved one and it's her health and you're thinking to yourself, my loved one is just heading in one direction. The health is heading further and further south. And it's so strong against them and it's so hard upon them. And You maybe think you pray, you think to yourself, "I don't know if it's going to change anything. I don't know if God can intervene in this one. I don't know if my loved one is, is able to be saved. I don't know if my loved one's able to be cured. And yet God and His providence can do all things. See, we come before a God who's a God of impossibilities. With God, all things are possible. Let me encourage you, child of God, today, if you have burdens upon your heart, and you have those burdens that you've carried, and maybe unknown to everyone else here, but there's something that's breaking your heart inside, and you've looked at it through the human spectacles, and you've said it's just getting worse, and it's getting to the point of no return. Look to the Lord in faith. Trust him for every single part of it. No one ever says all things work together for good. No one ever says my God shall perfect that which concerneth thee. That's every single detail. The Lord doesn't just work all things to good. He works every single detail of every single thing for good the Lord's control over your life and over your needs is perfect. And he controls every part of it. And he can overrule and rule in and and every single part of it. Nothing is impossible when you come to Christ. You look again at the field of the Even the little detail of the field that he comes into, the verse 14, it says, the cart came into the field of Joshua. And there it stopped. Joshua, of course, is the Old Testament name for Jesus. There's a lovely little picture there. Out of all of the fields, all of the different divisions that there are in that great wide valley of Beth Shemesh, the cart walks into the field of Joshua and stops in Joshua's field. Very simple little application. When you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you remain there, you rest on him. You stop there and don't wander to anyone else. You stay with Christ. The one who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. No, the Lord can still save your loved ones doesn't matter how far away they are. The Lord can still bring back your loved ones, those that have went against you, those that have went against everything that you believe, those that were brought up in the church and wandered into the bypath meadow. Regardless of how far you think they've gone, the Lord can still bring them back. He's able to give you above all that you ask or even think. Doesn't matter the obstacles may be put up. Doesn't matter how much it's weighted against you, against a positive outcome. God is able. Secondly, not only the return of the ark, but the verse thirteen. I want you to see the reaction to the ark, because it tells us they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the They lifted up their eyes, and they saw the ark, and they rejoiced to see it. You know, it struck me as I looked at this passage. The people of Beth Shemesh were working when the ark was missing. Seven months without the ark of the Lord. Seven months without that which was the visible presence of God in their midst. Seven months whenever the ark was in the Philistine lands. Seven months whenever they were separated. And what were they doing? Busy with harvest. What were they doing? Doing the manual work and only the manual work. That was what was filling their time. That was what was filling and taking their energy. And filling all of their thoughts and all of their meditations. It was simply this, the busyness of life. And all they were interested in was in the field, working hard, making money, bringing in the crops. Not missing the presence of God. Now I wondered to myself as I read this passage, I wondered, did the Israelites at any stage, did they send out an envoy? At any point did they make contact, did they send out an envoy and say, we desire to have our ark back, would you give it please? At any point did they say, right, we're going to have a covert mission. We're going to send out our best soldiers at night time. And we're going to encourage them and command them even to go down into the Philistine land. And seek to bring it back. At any point did they do anything? Did they make any effort for the presence of God to come back? The presence of the Lord was missing They just carried on with life. They did their harvest. Now that's sadly the testimony of many Christians today. The presence of the Lord isn't as it once was in this land. We saw it again even recently there in the census. Every single Protestant denomination in Northern Ireland, their numbers are going down. Every single one. Thousands upon thousands are going away from the church. Thousands upon thousands are turning away from the things of God. The presence and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our land is not what it was in former days. The presence of God is not to the forefront as it once filled the houses, as it once filled the churches, as it once filled the communities. And what's God's people doing? hasn't simply been missing for months the presence of God's been missing for years and yet many Christians continue life and just carry on with work carry on doing everything for themselves Many Christians today are actively seeking the return of the Lord. The priority of the Israelites in that day was their harvest. We need to bring in our food, we need to get the crops in, because then we can provide for our family for the remainder of this year, and then we can also what is excess, then we can sell it, we can make a bit of money. They were so focused upon their own welfare and their own lifestyles and their own financing of themselves that they set aside God. And they set aside his presence. I say this graciously. If the priority today was the return of the king, the return of the presence of the Lord, our prayer meetings and our churches would be filled. God's people would be on their knees in those rooms. The prayer times would be full and the prayer sessions would be full of prayer, not silence. And that's the exact same right across our land today. Prayer meetings are small. Individuals at once gave themselves to the place of prayer now only come every so often. Individuals that used to pray in every single prayer meeting and come in and even plead and maybe even cry in the prayer meetings and cry cry and plead with the Lord for their loved ones. No longer do they come. No longer do they pray. No longer do they cry. God's presence is gone. God's people just carry on. Our prayer meetings need to be filled again. Our prayer times need to be loud again. With voice after voice crying unto God. Not just for one week. But continuously. Until the Lord comes. Not just for one night. Not just where we can go home and we can say, Well, I went tonight and I'll take that off. I'll maybe get again, hopefully in a month or so. But you know, as I read on in that verse 13, it says, they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted up their eyes. Do you know whenever they realized the ark was returned? When they took their eyes off themselves and off their work, and they looked up. You know, in this day in which we live, things are hard, I'm not denying it. You've got a mortgage, your rate's going through the ceiling. If you're buying groceries every week, which we all are, money's not going as far as it once did. Electricity, gas, they're all going up. Every bill's going up in the country. Fuel's up, everything's up. And we fill our minds with those things you may maybe offered a few extra hours and maybe even those extra hours are on the prayer meeting night. And you say, oh, but I need to get the money and I need to make as much money for my family. We've all of these bills coming up and everything else is going up. But it's prayer meeting night. Do you know whenever they finally had joy in their hearts, these Israelites, when they looked up and they saw the Lord. Until that point, their heads were down and they're just cutting, cutting and cutting and cutting and using the scythe and gathering it together and tying it in bundles. And it's all that back breaking, looking downward. But then they stopped, they looked up and there was the Lord's presence. Then they rejoiced. What does it say in Second Chronicles seven fourteen? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. But firstly, there must be the looking up. There must be the looking away from self. There must be a turning to the Lord. Then the Lord's promise to hear from heaven. And then there'll be joy. Real joy in the church. You know the best time, of, type of prayer meeting in the church? Is when it turns into a praise prayer meeting. Lord, thank you for saving souls. Lord, thank you for bringing in my daughter, my son. Lord, thank you for bringing in my husband, my wife. Lord, thank you for saving Lord, thank you for bringing back families. Lord, thank you for bringing in the neighbors, the community. Lord, thank you for bringing in those that are down this street that have been invited in year after year. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for being with us. Note Psalm 85 says in verse 6. Will thou not revive us again? Why? That thy people may rejoice in thee. See, when your eyes are upon the Lord, you give your heart to the Lord. You seek first the kingdom of God. I find that very interesting that the Lord put in that word first. He didn't just simply say, seek the kingdom of God. Because then that's up to each one own choice. Well, when will I seek it? I'll do everything else. I'll do A, B, C first. Then I'll maybe seek the Lord. The Lord says, seek first. You put the Lord first in your life. You seek the Lord first and his righteousness first. Then all these things shall be added unto you. Wilt thou not revive us again? Why? That thy people may rejoice And thee. There was the return of the ark, the reaction to the ark. But then, thirdly and finally, the verse 19. The reckoning because of the ark. It tells us that the Lord smote the men of Bethshemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people 50,000, three score and ten men. The people lamented. In verse 20, the men of Bethshemesh said, Who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? You no, know, in one sense, it's amazing. In the midst of such joy could come such sorrow. After all, the return of the ark was a miracle of God and how it happened. It caused great joy amongst the people. Well then, how does joy turn to judgment? It's clear, you know, that God had blessed in spite of them. That's what the Lord so often does. The Lord blesses in spite of us. Because there were the people they're working just at their own their own manual work, they're working at their harvest, and yet then the Lord chose to bless them. The Lord blessed them in spite of what they were doing. But then He punished them for sin. And it wasn't just a one off sin. If you go down and you look into these verses in chapter six, there are a number of sins. They offered the two heifers as sacrifice, it tells us in those verses. Leviticus 1, verse 3 states, sacrifices were to be meal. And only meal apart from the red heifer, which is stated in Numbers 19, verses 1-10. to All other sacrifices were to be meal. And yet they offered up and sacrificed the two heifers. Then the Levites lifted the ark, which was right. They were allowed to touch it, but they didn't cover it. Leviticus, our Numbers 4, the verse 5 tells us the ark must be covered by the veil when in transit. No human eye was allowed to see it. And yet the Levites came and they lifted it, but they didn't come with the covers. First of all, they didn't come with any covers, and they didn't cover over the ark. And so whenever the people saw it, and because it wasn't obeyed, the people came, they lifted the lid, they looked into it. They saw what they should not. They touched what they should not. God punished them for it. You see, we long for blessing, don't we? We long for the Lord's blessing and increase. But always remember, it must be done God's way. That which God has set in his word cannot simply be set aside just because we're having a good time. Just because we see a bit of an increase or just because even the temptation is there. You know, if you change this in the church, you get more people in. If you did this in the church, you get more people in. If you stop doing that certain thing in the church, you get more people in. God's word is very clear. You cannot set aside the things of God and commanded by God just to enjoy a blessing. Those times when God's presence is real in our midst, those times when God's presence is real in the community, it does not suddenly give us a license to change how we worship. It does not suddenly give us a license to choose what we seek to obey in God's word and we can just set aside other parts of it. God's word is there from Genesis right through to Revelation to believe it all, to obey it all. The cry went up from the Israelite man who's able to stand before this holy God. No, Even child of God, we need to be remindful, be remembered every so often, if not daily, of who we are in Christ. We're sinners saved by grace. It does not give us licenses to do what we want does not give us the ability to choose, to pick and to leave off certain bits. God is still a God of holiness. He still hates and abhors all sin. And even in the times of blessing, whenever the Lord's hand is upon us and we can sense the Lord's nearness and we can sense the Lord's blessing, it does not simply bring us to a point where we're no longer sinners saved by grace. We're always only sinners saved by grace. God's word is there for us to follow. He seeks our worship in the way that he has laid out in scripture. But I finish with this thought to the unseaved. Whenever you look at this passage, you look at what the Lord did even in justice to his own people. You look at the cry of verse 20, who is able to stand before this holy Lord God? I asked you on Save Today, you consider where you are. You consider who God is. I thought of this recently. We had a number of protests, one in Oman, one in Cookstown, because our church is halfway between both. We sought to support the two local churches, two pride events, one in Cookstown, one in Oma. Of course, in these days, all they are about and all they bring is, oh, it's love, love, love. God's a God of love. He'll accept anything. But after the queen passed away, we preached in Isaiah 6. You know the angels in heaven with their six wings Two wings, they cover their eyes, two they cover their feet, and two with they fly with. There's only one word, one characteristic of God that every angel in heaven speaks about. And it's his holiness. The thought with the wings over their eyes is such as the holiness of God that even the angels are covering their eyes, they cannot look upon it. And the thought is given, those wings are there and they're simply, as it were, just peeking. their little glimpses towards God. And they're looking and they're seeing God is holy. And they're covering up their feet so that their feet do not bring any disdain or disrespect towards God. And the cry goes up in heaven, holy, holy. Holy. Today men and women across our land think they can stand before a holy God. God will accept them. Because God's a God of love. God is a God of love. But his love comes through and from the base of a holiness. That is unchangeable. And here were these Israelite people. They came and they thought to themselves, Oh, look, we're so happy. And they looked into that of the ark of God. The Lord smote them. My friend, even if you've only one sin in your life, it's enough, it's enough to separate you from God who can stand before a holy God no one but we don't stand before a holy God because each one that is saved stands in Christ before a holy God and it's Christ that makes us able to stand makes us able to draw near My friend this morning if you're outside of Christ and the reality is you cannot stand and so I plead with you today to run to Christ to give your life to surrender your all the Lord has promised to save to cleanse and to keep Then and only then can you come before the Holy God. May the Lord bless His Word to our hearts this morning. I'm back to the Reverend Dean.
1: We do thank the Lord's servant for Thy challenging Word to our hearts today, and we trust that God will ride upon our hearts. We've been challenged to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and how much we need to put the Lord first in all that we do. I wonder if we could turn to the hymn 733. It sort of gives the challenge in another way. Where are the reapers that garner in the sheaves of good from the fields of sin? With the sickles of truth must the work be done and no one may rest till the harvest home. And we think of the Lord's harvest today. We need to be praying, as our brother has said, and we need to be working in the Lord's harvest field. These men, our brother was talking about, were looking after themselves and their own harvest, and we sometimes can neglect the Lord's harvest field. 733, and we stand as we sing. Thank thee for the challenge of thy word, for thy servant that brought it to our hearts. O oh God, we pray that we might not be so focused upon the earthly harvest and that we don't set our eyes upon thee. And we pray, O oh God, that we might indeed seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then we know that all things, good things, will be added unto us. Bless thy servant, as he goes on today, bless. As he preaches this evening, be with us as we gather round thy word tonight, and do be with us throughout this day, for it's in Jesus' precious name that would ask these things. Amen.